As you're sitting down, uh, you know, I've, I've said this before, um, I'm the lead pastor of Soma Church, and, uh, and this is my wife, Melissa. Melissa and I are partners in ministry. Every, we, we pray for you guys together. We consider things. We dream uh, for you guys together, and oftentimes, the Lord will speak to her, and, and it's something that uh, I think will be really encouraging to the overall body, and I'll ask her if she would be willing to share that. Um, with you guys. And so she had shared with me something a couple weeks ago that the Lord was laying on her heart. And I said, I really feel like this would end the seed time and harvest series. Would you be willing to teach that uh, in the context of that teaching series? And she said, I would love to do that. So would you guys uh, give a hand to my beautiful wife, Melissa, open your hearts up to her and to the word of God. Amen. Thank you. It's awesome. Will you guys go ahead and um, put something in Genesis 15? We're going to go there, and we're going to be in Romans 4. I want to kind of give you the heads up where we're going to be. That way you're not having to go looking for it. Um, Romans is in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. So that's where that's at. If you need, Sometimes you're like, where is that book? That's where that's at. Genesis, you know, that's an easy one. So, you know, that's, you know, in the beginning, we're going to go there. So Genesis 15 and Romans 4. Go ahead and get there. Like Tony said, this is week 3 of um, a little New Year's series that the Lord really gave him, the seed time and harvest. And you guys need to go back and listen to weeks one and two if you haven't gotten to hear them, because I think it probably will make what I'm saying that much more meaningful. But the first week he talked about the principle of sowing and reaping, that there's a divine principle there. And he kind of referenced Galatians 6, 5 that we know and we're familiar with that, you know, um, for whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. You know, when you sow something, you reap something. When you put something into something, you're going to get something out of it. And then in week two, he talked about the practical. Practical ways that we sow in our worship, in our prayer, in the word, and in serving. And some, a scripture that he pointed out both weeks that I think that we would all stand to memorize and um, really get deep into our hearts was Hosea 10, 12 through 13 says, plant the good seeds of righteousness and you will harvest a crop of love. If you plant good things, you reap good things. And you know, the opposite is, all, is also true. There's a proverb that says that if you sow the wind, you reap the whirlwind. That if you're going to sow chaos, you will reap chaos. If you sow peace, you reap peace. So it's interesting, this principle that is divine that God, the creator, put in place for us to watch, not only in creation, but to also watch it in our own lives. Um, so this week, I wanted to talk about the promise. So, you know, classic Tony Herring, it's the three Ps. But I want you to know that I had my P long before he did. So the promise that is found in seed time and harvest. And as I was thinking about this weeks ago, I was thinking about how as humans, we don't sow something without expecting to reap something. When we put a squash seed in the ground, I was thinking squash, because those are pretty big seeds. When you put a squash seed in the ground... Um, you expect that there's going to be a product. You expect that you put it in the grounds and with a little bit of water and some sunshine, tending and weeding, that after so many days, maybe 21 days, 28 days, somewhere in there, it depends on the gestation, I guess, or germination of a seed, you expect that there's going to be a little green sprout. And that's a big deal around our house when green sprouts start to pop their heads up out of the soil. That means somebody did something right. Really, actually... We can plant and water, and it's the Lord that makes all things grow, right? But that's a big deal. And when we put that seed in the ground and we see that sprout come up, we expect that that sprout is also going to grow into a plant. Like, and that plant is going to produce what? 
fruit, but what fruit specifically? A squash. We planted a squash seed, but there are times that Cannon has planted things thinking it was something and it came out something different, but that's okay. There was fruit, but um, that's what we expect. When we plant, we expect a harvest, don't we? And some of you guys may be thinking, I kill everything that I touch, but you expect some farmer somewhere has planted something because you wouldn't be able to get stuff at Walmart if somebody didn't plant something somewhere and expected a harvest from that, right? The harvest is what is promised to us. And we have a fairly confident expectation of what is to come based on simple laws of nature, right? Just these simple laws of nature that we have hope that squash will come from a squash seed. But what about us in the spirit? What about as children of God? What about sons and daughters of the king? What are we reaping? What is our harvest? We need to know that. I think that's an important thing for us to have activated in our hearts. What are we sowing? What are we reaping as children of God? Now, to begin with, we need to know what believers sow. What is the thing that we sow as a believer? And when I say believer, you guys know I'm, I'm saying as a believer in Jesus Christ and a believer in this, these 66 books and the work of the cross. Well, it's, the answer is found every time you call yourself a believer. You sow belief. That's what you're sowing as a believer. You're sowing belief. Now, let me simply uh, define that. Belief, it means simply to be persuaded. You're persuaded of something. It means to be confident in, specifically when we're sowing our belief in God, we're confident in him. We're confident in who he is, what he's done, what he says he'll do. So that's what we sow. We, we sow our belief in him. Now, I want you guys to turn to Romans 4, because like any good teacher, they're going to back up their, what they're saying with their good scripture, okay? And so you guys should already be there, found Romans 4, and let's start with verse 1. Now, I want to preface this by saying that um, in our little homeschool co-op that we have going on, I teach the high schoolers, or the big kids, we call them, and we've been working through Romans. And so if Romans has ever scared you and you thought that's way way above my pay grade, way above my um, education level, I promise you that you can get into Romans and you can learn something from it. And it may take a few passes of going through Romans, but I want to encourage you, I have anywhere from 12 to 18-year-olds going through Romans right now, and it's awesome. And it's teaching us a lot. And we were in Romans 4 having an incredible discussion. I almost wish I could just I could transplant you guys into what these teenagers were saying, but it was, it was pretty cool. But it starts out like this, if you guys are there, Romans 4. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? I have to stop real quick because the first three chapters, Paul is trying to explain to the Romans that the law, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant brought death. But the Spirit brought life. And he's saying, he's, this is, he's building, and you need to kind of take it in context. And that's something I want to challenge you to do. We've discovered in this study that you you got to keep the word in context. You need to understand where you can't just extract one part out and say, this is what I'm going to hang my belief on. You need to take it in the full context of the word. Look it up. And somebody tells you something, you go back and you look it up. You take it in the full context. What did they mean? What did Paul mean? And that's why I have you turn in Genesis 15. But he says, what did he discover about being made right with God? Verse 2, if his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scripture tells us, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. 
Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He sowed belief and he reaped what? Righteousness. And I don't have time to go on. I challenge you guys this week in your study to read all of chapter four and into five, but it says in verse five, it goes on to say that we can't work for our righteousness. There's nothing that we can, there's no amount of work that we can sow and reap any kind of righteousness. That's verse five. There's not enough good deeds that we can do to have a right standing with the Lord. That's what righteousness is, a right standing with the Lord. Verse nine says we can't outwardly conform. There's not enough in our vernacular behavior modification. We can't clean it up on the outside enough. In in Abraham's time, it was circumcision. The circumcision was uh, representative of that outward uh, conformity. So it was this outward representation that they believed in God. And it was important for them. But he's saying, Paul's saying here, he's like, no amount of outward conformity will make you righteous. You can't sow conformity and be made right with God and reap righteousness, okay? We need to know this. This is good news for us, okay? Verse 14 says, we cannot merely obey the law and become righteous. Now, this, not, this might be a news flash for some of you guys in here because depending on how you were raised and especially on your personality, it's all about obeying the law. It's the letter of the law. You gotta do it right. And while we teach obedience and we want our kids to obey and we want people to obey traffic laws, you know, obviously, we want, it, we want obedience. We cannot sow obedience and reap righteousness. Newsflash. Okay, go to verse 14. You can't obey enough. You can't sow enough in obedience and reap any kind of righteousness. Okay? We need to wrap our brains around that. Now, obedience is important. There's a lot of scriptures about that. But he's saying, you can't obey the law enough. And be made righteous. You can't sow enough obedience and be made right with God. The promise of righteousness, the harvest of righteousness, is through belief. It's believing God. And according to verse 16, I've kind of I've kind of jumped through 14. But I want you guys to look at verse 16 real quick. 416. He says, So the promise, the harvest, is received by faith. It is given as a free gift. It's a free gift. It is something that we can expect, a gift that we can expect by simply believing the Lord. Now, there are two words that are interchangeable in this passage of Scripture, and I want to give you guys a little Greek lesson, and Kat, our resident Greek, can tell me if I'm pronouncing these correctly. But he uses the word believe, which is pisteu. What? Okay. Y'all heard that. Um, to think, to be true, persuaded of, confident in, committed to. That's believe, just to give you guys that. In the Greek, the, you hear the pistol, whatever, pistol, um, And then the other word is faith. These two words, belief and faith, believing and faith, are interchanged as it relates to Abraham in this passage of Scripture. And actually, all throughout in the New Testament when they're using Greek. And faith is Pistis, but it's the same Greek. It's the same root in there, and it means conviction of the truth, assurance that something is real. And what I love about both of these definitions, when they're interchanging and they're talking about Abraham's faith and they're talking about Abraham's belief, it says there is a strong implication. There's a strong implication that action will ensue 
from one's belief. He's saying that they know when you have faith, when you believe something, you have a strong, you know inside of you. There is this implication that because of your belief, there's an action as a result. That's what faith and belief mean. That's what's common in that. And especially as it relates to Paul talking about Abraham. Now, I want to go back and talk a little about about Abraham. Like I was saying, I like to take it in the full context. When he says, as the scriptures say, let's see what those scriptures are. Let's go to to Genesis 15 real quick. And you guys turn there. I'm excited about this. Can you tell? You guys hang out right there at Genesis 15. But the story of Abram, maybe you didn't know Abraham was Abram. When he first started out. But the Lord changed his name after a really big encounter. But the backstory with Abram was that he was in this long lineage of men. And his dad, Terah, had kind of moved the family and had gotten halfway to Canaan. What we know as the promised land. And then stopped. And I'm not sure why. And you guys, if you want to research that that out, that was one of those rabbit trails. The Lord said, hold up. You got to stay focused. And I was like, why didn't they stop there? total nerd when it comes to that kind of research. But anyway, his Abram's dad had stopped and they were here in Ur, you are the land of the Chaldeans. And he's there with his wife. Abram is there with his wife, Sarai, and his nephew, Lot. These names should be sounding pretty familiar. And God comes and speaks to him. And this is in chapter 12, 13, 14. And it's the story of Abram and how God says, I want you to leave the land of your fathers. And I want you to go to the land that I promised you, Canaan. I want you to go there. And so he takes a small entourage with him and he believed God. He said, okay, I'll go, I'll go there. So he actually does it and he picks up and he goes to, on his way to Canaan. Okay, he was a long way away. So that's where we're picking up right here. He had the kind of faith in God. He had that, that belief. He had that conviction in him to follow him. He's like, I'm willing to follow you. It even says in verse 9, and I love this. I'd never read this before. In chapter 12, verse 9, it says that he continued traveling south by stages. He didn't, it was not a direct shot from Ur to Canaan. And that should sound familiar too if you know any Old Testament history. It just seems like there weren't any point A to point B, it was like 20, it was like connect the dots and you've made an elephant by the end. You know what I mean? Like huge dots, stops. But it says that he was progressing on his journey with the Lord in stages. And I just stopped right there. And I thought, doesn't that sound familiar to us? We, maybe like Abraham or Abram, maybe we can relate to old father Abraham and think we've had enough faith to say yes to the Lord. Probably most of you in this room have said yes to the Lord. He says, come follow me. And you said, yeah, I'll do that. I'll come and follow you. And so even like Abraham, maybe you've even made your journey in stages and you can look back and say there, you know, I've definitely, there's been times and was probably serving him a little better here. Maybe not so much here. Definitely there was this place Oh, this was a wilderness. This was definitely a valley. This was a mountaintop kind of in stages, maybe not quite to the promised land yet, but you had that kind of faith like he had. You said yes to the Lord. You come to church and you try to do good but not sinning as much. You know, you listen to 89.5, a little third day. You know, do things reasonably well so you can live reasonably well, you know. 
a little bit like Abraham, like old Abram. We can so relate to that. And the cool thing about it is that it says he had faith. Abram had faith, and that's the kind of faith that we have, that the Lord was about to call Abraham out. He was about to change his name, and he needed to call him to something. He said, I'm going to get you to the promised land, but did you know I have something deeper? Up until this point, he had only been talking to him about promises of the land and getting him there. But God said, Abram, I got some big news for you. And that's where we're picking up in Genesis 15. You guys should already be there. Verse 1. Basically, Sodom and Gomorrah had just happened. Okay? Y'all go back and read. It's good stuff. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision. And he said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you. And your reward will be great. But Abram replied, Oh, sovereign Lord, what good are all of your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Back then it was not only usual, but it was customary that if you didn't have an heir, if you didn't have a living relative to a male to take on your inheritance, then you could legally adopt someone to become your heir. So the Eleazar was the uh, heir, you know, incumbent, I guess. He was the one that it was like, it was all going to go to him. And while I'm sure Abraham had selected Eleazar and was kind of happy that at least his inheritance, and at this point he had amassed some serious wealth and land, probably happy that it wasn't going to go back to the government, he was still a little weary and sad and afraid that he didn't have his own son. He, after all, he had just said twice, you have not given me any descendants. I'm sure he was a little, you know, a little sarcastic with the Lord there. After all, you've not given me a son. You've not given me an heir. For What's the point of all of these blessings? What's the point of all of this if, you, if, there, if I don't have something? And he says, we're picking up in verse four. Then the Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir. For you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. Look up there. Count them. That's how many descendants you will have. That's how many heirs you will have. Now, this is a man who didn't have any. But the Lord just spoke to him and said, You'll have so many that they're as numerous as these stars in the sky. And look at verse 6. Mark it in your Bible. Because this is the first time this is said. And then it's referenced through the ages. And we're sitting here tonight talking about it. Okay, that's cool. It says, And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Abram believed the Lord. When Paul was saying, back when scripture, back in the scripture, when it says that Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, this is it right here. Y'all are Bible scholars tonight. You've got that information in your head right there. In Genesis 15, the first time that it says that he was, it was credited to him as righteous. Now, did he have faith before? Did he have enough faith to follow God? He did. Yes. But what was God needing to confront in Abram for him to get the real promise? It's found in verse one. He says, Abram, do not be afraid. He had to confront his fears. 
He had to confront him. He said, dude, numerous as the stars, look up into the sky. I have this for you. You you don't have an error. I know that, but I know something. I know that you're going to have so many that you won't be able to count them. And he believed him. He believed him. And I think for tonight, like thinking about the promise for us, I think that the Lord needs to confront our fears. Needs to confront. He's saying, yeah, you know what? I'm glad. I'm glad you go to church. And I'm so, I'm proud of you. And I'm proud of your faith. You've been tracking along in your faith. But did you know that there are great and wonderful promises that the Lord has for you? Great and wonderful ones. Even beyond what you already know. Beyond, blow our minds. I feel like the Lord's saying, come on, y'all. If I could take us all out into the front and say, look up into the sky, look at the stars. His promises are that numerous for, for us, for you, for us individually. Those are his promises for us. But maybe like Abram, we're like, I've got deficiencies. I'm deficient. I'm deficient. There's no way, there's no way I'm gonna reach to that point of that promise of really reaping reaping the promise. There's no way. And maybe you're like, Abram, you're a little afraid of the unknown. Maybe you're a little afraid of the future. I don't know. The list could be endless of what we are fearful of. We could fill in the blank. I think everybody's got some kind of fear somewhere happening in their life. And if you're honest, you may have fears that are the roadblock into some serious promises that the Lord is saying, I need you to believe that the impossible can happen. I need you to believe that the absolute impossible is going to happen in your life. Was it impossible for Sarah to conceive and have a baby? So far, history had proven it was. So far, he's like, dude, we had not had any babies yet. He's saying here, I still don't have an heir. Remember haste, I still don't have an heir. But he decided to believe God. He decided to believe the impossible. And the Lord said, you know what you're gonna reap? You're gonna reap some serious righteousness. But, but more than that, you're gonna harvest the stars. That is your harvest right there. Isn't that incredible? Now I want us to keep going. I wanna turn back to Romans. You're probably like, dang, I'm Miss that. I should have told you I'd keep a finger there. Go back to Romans 4. I had to plug Genesis in because I wanted you guys to see. I wanted you to see the full context of what we're talking about. When we're saying Abraham believed God and it was created to him as righteousness, do you understand now why? Do you see how he was having to believe something that seemed impossible? It was a very unrealistic thing for him to believe because after all, Sarah had not had any babies yet. So let's look, picking up in verse 18. We just read 16 that it was a free gift. It was a free gift. Verse 18. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, will you guys repeat that back to me? For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead and so was Sarah's womb. I laughed my head off when I read that translation. He's like, my body is good as dead and so is her womb. She's got some old eggs. There's no way this and that is happening. It's not happening, okay? His body, Sarah's body, their journey was with him. It was his daily evidence that it had not yet happened. 
But what does it say? It says he did not lose hope. He believed what God had spoken to him. Verse 20, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. Simply translated, he never separated himself from the truth that was spoken to him. He never, ever, ever, are you hearing me? He never allowed himself. He never allowed his thoughts. He never allowed his fear. Nothing separate him from what God had told him, from what had been spoken to him. What had been spoken to him? The stars, this incredible harvest that he would reap. He says he never wavered. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. Fully convinced. Even though Sarah's womb was as old as the grave, he was still, guys, can you wrap your brain around it? He was still fully convinced. How long, how long have we been praying for things? How long have we been contending for someone, a situation, and we'll grow weary in less than 24 hours? We wake up and we're like, wait, it hasn't happened yet? And we will waver, waffling back and forth. And this old man never separated himself from what God spoke to him. He never wavered. It never weakened. It grew stronger. He was fully convinced. So here's what I'm passionate about. How do we grow fully convinced? How do we get that? How do we have that kind of fully convinced, not going to separate myself, never going to waver, always going to hope? How do we get that? How are we ever fully convinced of his promises? But I feel like the bigger question for us is how can we can be convinced of something that we don't really know? How can you be convinced of God's promises if you don't quite know them? How can you be convinced of something if you, if you haven't heard it? Now, I understand there's some blind faith. I'm just out here, kind of like in stages, this, the first part of Abram's walk with God. But how are we fully convinced if we don't really know? I think first and foremost, to be fully convinced, you've got to know them. You've got to know the promises of God. Now, that word promise translates announcement. It is spoken. It is written. It's an announcement. That's what a promise is. How many times do we read and we hear what God had said to him, what God had told him? It was something that was spoken. And you guys will remember in Romans 10, 17, it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We need to hear those things. We need to hear the promises of God and what they are. And I'm not talking this feel good, you know, what are these? Oh, that makes me feel so good about myself. I'm talking about there are some things that he says he has promised you. There are 66 letters in here full of the promises of God. And you want an increase in your faith and you want the kind of thing that says, I'm fully convinced of this, y'all. You got to know it. You got to know them. If we sound like a broken record here at Soma that you need to know the word of God, it's because you need to know the word of God. You need to know it. You need to know it for yourself. You need to get that. You need to, you need to get your steak knife and your fork and you need to start chopping it up and getting little bite-sized pieces ingesting it. You got to get that promise in there. You're not going to be fully convinced of something that you don't know. So you need to know it. And then the second thing is this, to be fully convinced, you also have to meditate on it. So it's one thing to know it and you got to know it, but then you need to meditate on that. I love Psalms 119.15. I love Psalms 119 anyway, but 
says, I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I will meditate on it every day. If, if we're honest, and there's no condemnation, but if we're honest, our meditation's not really on the promises of the Lord, is it? Usually our meditation is either going to be on disappointment, fears, letdowns, anxiety. Oh, Lord. You know, it's just this future. It's just this unknown that's so scary. And we'll meditate, but we'll meditate on that stuff. We don't meditate on the promises. We're not fully convinced of those things. You're going to need to know them, and you need to meditate on them. I want you guys to stand with me in closing because we're going to have some ministry time. I want the, the worship team's going to come up. Sonia, you can put up Second Peter. I want to read this together out loud. And then we're going to have ministry time. You guys read this. It's up there. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Isn't that a promise in itself right there? These promises enable us to share in his divine nature. Because guess what? Like we said, there's no amount. There's no amount of behavior modification. There's no amount of obeying the law. You've got to sow in your belief that he is faithful. And then you reap that righteousness into your life. It says in other places, we have no righteousness of our own. We can't generate enough righteousness of our own. We are partakers. Partaker because of the new covenant you know, back then, you guys probably just learned in Covenant Walk, who were going through physiology, the Abrahamic covenant, that was the old covenant. And the new covenant was in Jesus Christ. And those promises are found in him.